Hello and welcome to Cornerstones Cares, a podcast produced by Cornerstones of Care to contribute to a healthier, more productive community. My name is Carol Grimaldi and I am Manager of Community Engagement and Advocacy. Cornerstones of Care partners with children, young adults, and families to achieve safety and health through six key service areas, education, mental and behavioral health, foster care and adoption, youth support, family support, and community training. Visit www.cornerstonesofcare.org for more information. Housing stability is fundamental to safe and healthy families. But what most people don't know is that housing instability is a contributor to many children being removed from their parents' care and put into the foster care system, and that housing stability can keep families together and out of the system. With us to talk about this today are Tracy Sattel, Program Specialist in Foster Care Case Management for Cornerstones of Care, and Kim Keaton, Director of Data and Analytics for CSH, which has been working with Cornerstones of Care and a number of other agencies in the Kansas City community to address housing instability and actual homelessness for families who have the attention of the child welfare system. Welcome, Kim and Tracy. Thank you for having us today, Carol. Yeah, thank you. Kim, I'm going to start with you. What is CSH? Uh, CSH stands for Corporation for Supportive Housing. We're a national nonprofit headquartered in New York City, but with offices and staff throughout the country. I am located in Kansas City, the only CSH staff here. Uh, we provide policy advocacy, training and technical assistance, uh, and also types of other services to create housing and services for vulnerable populations, like those families that are involved with the child welfare system or experiencing housing instability or homelessness. So can you tell us a little bit about what's happening in Kansas City? I sure can. So. Uh, CSH, my organization, has a national campaign called One Roof, uh, and it's an initiative that helps policymakers understand and implement something, a program we call Keeping Families Together. And this is a supportive housing uh, program that was started about uh, 12, 15 years ago. Uh, the first one was in New York City, and it brought the idea of housing uh, and services, so the housing is subsidized, so make it affordable for the family, and then services to help families deal with the problems that they have and help keep them in housing and keep them from being torn apart for various reasons again. Um, that program was highly successful and evaluated and found a lot of really good outcomes, uh, and it was picked up and turned into a national demonstration by the Federal uh, Administration for Children's and Families. Uh, that was a five-side initiative that uh, wrapped up actually this year with an evaluation by the Urban Institute. And uh, But we couldn't wait for those results because we knew this was a model that worked. And so about two years ago, uh, CSH put out a national learning collaborative opportunity that the partners in Kansas City applied for. Uh, and through that, the partners here, and I, I'll talk about who those are in a minute, uh, learned enough to say, this is something that we wanna do here. We have the right partners around the table. They had the Jackson County Children's Division, Cornerstones of Care, um, some of the other contracted case management, foster case management providers, as well as uh, critically the Housing Authority of Kansas City and some service providers um, including Truman Behavioral Health, which is the behavioral health arm of Truman Hospital and um, Community Link and some other partners uh, around the table. And what they said was 
CSH, we want more technical assistance because the housing authority says they have 55 family unification program vouchers, which is like a Section 8 voucher for specifically families that are experiencing homelessness and involved in the child welfare system to be able to reunite them in housing. The housing authority said this program has potential for us to be able to use these vouchers so that these families don't, you know, fall out of their homes and back into uh, child welfare and homelessness. So that's how it started. So Tracy, housing is pretty basic. Can you give us a definition of housing instability and how it affects many of our families then? Yes. Many of our families really struggle with paying their rent, um, move, moving around frequently, staying with different relatives. Um, a lot of it stems from the majority of their income is required to go towards housing, which one thing little wrong, and it can create all kinds of issues to where it changes their actual ability to even pay their rent. And it so it affects a great deal of families, whether they end up, their children end up notified by the child welfare system or not. I mean, it just affects a great deal of families throughout the Kansas City metro area. And of the more than 200 children in Cornerstones of Care's Missouri foster care case management case load at any one time, about how many of them or what proportion of the families are homeless, have recently been homeless or at, at risk of being homeless? I would actually say about 50% of the children that come into foster care are either homeless or are doubled up, which means their their family is staying with another relative or a friend or something. And it's a great deal of children. And I would even say 90 to 100% of the families that we work with are at risk of being homeless at some point in time. So for most parents whose children have been brought into foster care, reunification with their children is a goal, is it not? Yes, absolutely. The, the first goal that we have, um, that we work with the family, even through the courts, it, the first goal is always reunification. So it seems to me that no matter how much you love your child, you really can't raise a kid in a car. It, that's very true. In the hierarchy of needs, then, where would you put the stable housing for children and families? Actually, in the Maslow's hierarchy of need, it is actually on the second level. Um, food, eating, um, water, sleep is actually the first. The second is actually part of where housing comes in. But then the next level above that is relationships and emotional health. And so you can't even get to those higher levels of having a conversation with your child and being able to be there emotionally and supporting that child if the st housing is not stable. So as it involves the child welfare system and the children and families in it, how does this initiative work? Yeah, so uh, we came together um, across the community and decided together on what sorts of risk factors were going to be a priority for this for this program. And we included in those, um, obviously, homelessness, housing instability is one, but also um, young parents, so those that are under 25, uh, parents that have involvement with the child welfare system themselves from when they were children, uh, because a lot of 
for people that are involved in the child welfare system now have experience in foster care or other types of involvement as a, as a child. So they're sort of continuing the generational cycle, uh, and that's a cycle that we want to break. Um, we also prioritize uh, families that have some type of mental health need, either in the parents, the child, or both, uh, substance use, and criminal uh, history, you know, in the justice system. And so, so through all that, we created a, a referral sheet, and the referral sheet, uh, Cornerstones can make referrals, as well as other contracted case managers and children's division workers, and so they're, they've been trained on the sort of types of families that we're looking for, um, those kind of risk factors I just went through in addition to, um, you know, housing, unstable, and a goal of reunification. And, and that referral um, gets approved and sent to the Greater Kansas City Coalition to End Homelessness um, Coordinated Entry System site. And that's a lot of words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I forgot to mention earlier that the, the Coalition to End Homelessness has been a great partner. Um, they have implemented what's called a coordinated entry system, which means a streamlined point of entry for all people experiencing homelessness to get access to housing. And so uh, the family then goes to um, get a screening done to see you know, where they sort of fall in terms of their vulnerability. Uh, how homeless they are. So we've had a couple families where the, the parent was living on the street. Um, we've had a few families where the parent was living in shelter and the kids are living in foster care. So those types of families we want to really, really strive to serve soon and prioritize. Um, so after that, they uh, are cleared to go and apply at the Housing Authority for their Family Unification Program voucher. Um, that's really been a learning process. I think we've uh, over the we launched the the program as far as starting to house people last late November last year. Um, we've housed about ten people, ten families so far, and I'll go into that more later. But uh, we've learned a lot in terms of working with the housing authority and have gotten um, the timeline from when a, a family first gets goes to the housing authority to apply to when they have voucher in hand down to just a few short weeks, which is a real achievement. You really want to break down barriers for these families and and help them uh, succeed and get into housing as soon as possible. With um, as many families who really need this support, 10 families doesn't sound like a lot. What are some of those barriers or what keeps people from actually um, being successful through this? Uh, that's a great question, Carol. So uh, we have found that um, we have broken it down a lot of barriers with the Housing Authority as far as having uh, re a criminal history record. Um, and so we've been able to, to move through some of those. But as it stands now, um, if you are on active parole or probation, you can't get one of these vouchers, although the Housing Authority has agreed to remove those restrictions next early next year. That's a success. Yeah, that's a success. A, a systems change success, I would agree. Also, I think one of the major barriers that I have seen work with this program is the length of time. Um, we've had many families that we have worked with before One Roof came around that we had on this on the waiting list and the in Jackson County that waiting list can be years 
And so in order... You mean the housing authority waiting list? Yes. Yeah, like Section 8? Yes. And so in order to get them housing that they can afford, just sometimes they don't have time to wait through that list. And I think that's one of the major things that I've seen with One Roof has been a barrier is to, it doesn't, they don't have to go on that particular waiting list. Yeah, so we're able to do it a little bit quicker. I think some of the other barriers are that uh, people in poverty and people experiencing homelessness are often really hard to get a hold of. You know, they may have burner phones. They're kind of, their lives are sort of chaotic. They're, you know, maybe they're in treatment or they're, um, you know, they went to stay at a at a relative's house because that's the only place they went to. And so they've been we've some of the housing case managers that we work with at Truman and at Community Link are saying, you know, some folks are hard to get a hold of. Um, the other barrier is once people have vouchers, uh, we've seen landlords um, really, I would say, discriminate a little bit against some of our families. Um, when you have a, a young parent who doesn't have a rental history, they don't want to take a chance. And, uh, you know, that, that's been, it's been hard to find, you know, the right unit for the right family with a landlord that, that is, um, you know, a landlord that the housing authority can work with, et cetera. Piggybacking off of that, I think one of the other things that I have seen is for a regular housing Section 8 voucher, it requires the children to be in their care and custody. When the children in our care and custody, they can't get bedroom enough bedrooms to provide for the whole entire family. As to where with this program, we're able to say we are working with that family and so they are able to get enough bedrooms. And that has been especially noticeable in our larger families um, where they have four or more children in order to get enough bedrooms for those larger families. Yeah, one component of these particular types of vouchers that housing authorities have is that, um, as Tracy said, the housing authority will allow the, the mother and father or just one parent to move into a unit that is the, that is the size of the actual family even if the kids are not in care. So that mother of two can move into a, a two or three bedroom depending on the ages of the kids and she has a year to work to with the you know child welfare agencies and the courts um, to do what she needs to do to get her kids back. And in fact, we've had a couple of families reunify already. Like as soon as they moved in, the they were approved to have their kids back, which is which is a success. Um, and then the other families that have received vouchers and actually moved in to housing, uh, they've they're working towards that goal. So Tracy, can you talk about how the children of the families benefit from housing stability? Oh, I think they benefit immensely. I think that they are actually able to, the parents are able to more focus on the actual child versus being able to provide for the child. They're actually able to have those pleasant conversations, enjoy a big a family dinner, and enjoy having their friends and families over to a house that they can be a proud of. Um, and I think that it, it allows for the next level of hierarchy needs to where they can start that building a better relationship. 
So based on the outcomes so far, this appears to be an initiative that can help a lot of families by reducing the time children are in the system, improve health, educational and social outcomes for children, and improve the family's economic situation because parents are more employable, right? Yes. All right. So once anyone has a chance to think about it, it's kind of a no-brainer that can also make communities healthier. And so, Kim, what do you want to see happen in the next three to five years as far as support of housing goes? So one of the things that we are really promoting right now at my organization is how the recently passed Family First Prevention Act can be used to support uh, states in creating more opportunities for housing and services for families that are involved in the child welfare system or at risk of being involved in the child welfare system. There are a few opportunities provided through that act for um, use of evidence-based practices uh, with families. And so, for example, uh, an evidence-based practice in the supportive housing world is something we call housing first. So that's providing housing to a person or family without creating a lot of preconditions and hoops to jump through and you know proving that you've been sober for X amount of time or um, that you're engaged with mental health therapy or whatever. It's really hard to do those things when you don't have a fixed place to live. And so those evidence-based practices um, we think can be used uh, for child welfare involved families. And there are a couple other opportunities as well um, through that act. So I think that what we're seeing is um, particularly uh, in Kansas City and the state of Missouri, it was more interest from the state in uh, housing and services for their families. There are other states that my organization has the opportunity to work with that have really taken this on. I think New Jersey uh, has a statewide keeping families together type of initiative like this where they're really looking to provide this type of housing throughout the state where it's needed. And so you know, my dream is that state child welfare agencies uh, can figure out how to partner with the homeless continuum of care, with housing authorities and housing finance agencies, with the mental health systems in their states to create more housing opportunities for families at risk of involvement in the child welfare system or involved. That is very laudable, and um, <laughs> we're behind you, <laughs> believe me. So Tracy, are you able to tell us a story about supportive housing and, and that you've witnessed or been a part of that kind of gets to you? Yes, absolutely. We have one of our very own families that we work with who the mother was actually in the medical, medical profession, and she had was doing well, had her own house. Um, she, her daughter actually has high medical needs. And so in order to pay for her daughter's medical needs, she actually ended up losing her house and actually became literally homeless where she and her daughter were living in their car. Through One Roof Program, we were able to provide her with a home that was appropriate for her daughter's medical needs. And so it's exciting. It's been exciting to see her be able to bloom and this family get back together. Thank you for that. So if anyone wants more information about supportive housing, CSH, or the One Roof Initiative, where would they find it? Yep. 
so um, CSH's website is www.csh.org. Um, our One Roof Families campaign site is the number one rooffamilies.org. There you can find out all types of information about this type of program and nationally what we're doing and other communities that are doing it. We have a couple of blogs as well on CSH's website that um, if you just search on our, our website for One Roof Kansas City and One Roof, you can find uh, more information about who our partners are, uh, how many, you know, some data about how many families that we've been able to, to work with so far. Um, and then I think there are some really useful uh, policy briefs that we have on the Family First Prevention, Services Prevention Act, et cetera, that uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested about how all those things kind of fit together from a policy and practice standpoint, those are really useful too. Excellent. I want to thank you both for coming in to talk to us about something so common sense, it's almost revolutionary. And I hope you can come back sometime to give us an update, maybe bring a family we've helped with you. So I've been talking with Kim Keaton, the Director of Data and Analytics for CSH, and Tracy Sattel, a Foster Care Case Management Program Manager for Cornerstones of Care. You've been listening to Cornerstones Cares. I'm Carol Grimaldi. <laughs>